It's time for a new chapter in my life, a new adventure. I am back in the UK. This week on the podcast, perhaps the reawakening of my libido, a visit to the STD clinic in Hollywood, and the first part of my interview with the author of an upcoming book about how she opened up her marriage. It's my unconventional life. Big Pimpin. I kissed a girl and I liked it. La 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 la. <laughs> I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach. And not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. My name is Nigel McGuinness and this is my unconventional life. It's a podcast, it's a journal, and in a way it's kind of a personal ad. But most of all, it's about navigating the treacherous waters of love, sex and relationships in 2016. Sponsored by, you guessed it, no one right now. Every week I detail my own journey and discuss my own untraditional views and aspirations in that world. Whatever the topic, whoever the guest comes back to one question. How do we best find and express love in 2016? So I went to my second SPLA orientation last week, uh, accompanying a friend who has an interest in learning more about the group. And it was a great experience, like the first one I went to. But I found myself feeling largely apathetic and sexually ambivalent, like I was 11 years old again. You know, I'm still full of angst because there are girls I like that don't like me, and to a lesser extent, girls that like me that I don't like. But here I am nearly 30 years later, and what's changed? And I started thinking, maybe it's easier just to go with it. And what's wrong with having no libido and being scared of cute girls? Right. <laughs> Maybe I should just stop thinking about it or trying and just live in celibacy. It won't make me any more likely to get laid, but maybe it will bring me some peace of mind. Ugh, I don't know. I just need to have sex. It's not like I have no libido, but it's largely only for girls I've been with before. My biggest concern, though, about stopping trying is that at 40 years old, the number of girls I'm attracted to who are going to be interested in me is going to start self-limiting pretty soon. I mean, it has already. Either way, I need to find myself, find my true confidence, find my true purpose that confidence will flow from and have sex from a place of projecting love into the world. What the fuck? am I talking about? <laughs> anyway, at the orientation, we did a group game where you learn to say no to learn about exercising consent and setting your boundaries. It was so valuable. So you get into pairs and your partner asks you for something, even like a hug, and you have to say no. Then they say, thank you for taking care of yourself. It's not easy to say no, even in that environment when the person expects it. Then we did the same thing, but this time you can negotiate if you don't want to do what they ask for, but are okay doing something different. 
So, in the role-playing mode, I asked the guy opposite me for a shoulder massage. But he was okay with that, so just said yes. <laughs> it wasn't the best massage, wasn't the worst either, but I didn't feel weird about it either. I felt freeing almost. Then at the end, they do a four-way group hug. And when I went to my first orientation, I felt a little uncomfortable about it, so chose to sit out. But this time I did it and again, it felt fine. You know, maybe I'm starting to get beyond the physical caveats that I have. And I'm starting to loosen up about the whole notion of affection and even sex. Finally went for a round of STD testing at the LGBTQ Centre in Hollywood. Didn't have any specific reason to go. I mean, you know the extent of my sexual interactions. But I like to get tested a couple of times a year just because it's the right thing to do and so I feel like I'm still in the game. So I was sitting in with the counsellor before going over all the tests they're going to do and she pulls out a Q-tip with the cotton ball swab on the end and says, so you just insert the end an inch or so into the anus, twist a few times, then you apply the pressure. Uh, excuse me. I'm sorry, but I thought you said into the anus. <laughs> yep. Took me a couple of days to wash that self-violation off me, I can tell you. Anyway, the results come in sporadically over the next two weeks. And so far, I'm negative for HIV and butt syphilis. Whew. Weighed off my mind, I can tell you. It was kind of funny, though, when she asked me about my sexual history and... I felt ashamed to tell her how little I'd had since my last tests. But maybe this will change. Tuesday night, I was supposed to go for a coffee with that girl from Plenty of Fish for like the fifth time. And once again, she cancelled at the last minute when her boss made her stay late at work. So I think I need to let it go. And instead, I went for a coffee on my own and texted that girl we met at the bar last weekend. It's really weird on the street as I walked over there as Trump had just been announced as being elected in the election. There was a weird sense of, I don't know, fear and worry in the air. And I saw people crying on the street. In all seriousness, it could make for some very difficult years ahead. Anyway, the girl actually did come out and we had a good chat and hung out. Found out she's 22 though. <laughs> And when she asked how old I was, I didn't know how to say it without giving away the fact that I felt old. So I did tell her, and it wasn't that big a deal, but anyway, I think it's something that I should work on. Own it. Anyway, she came back to the apartment to say hi to Tim and meet Ziggy, our cute little dog. And she wanted to see more magic tricks, so I of course obliged. Then when she said she should leave, I walked her back to her car and gave her a big hug, then sort of came back in for a kiss. And I don't think she was expecting it. I wasn't really, so it was kind of a little awkward peck on the lips, but not weird. Cute even. But God, there is nothing like youth. Afterwards, I just felt alive. I mean, her lips were so smooth, and her skin was so tight and perfect. Uh, okay, now that's getting a bit weird. <laughs> anyway, she's still up for hanging out, maybe going to the Magic Castle, just not sure about anything else. But to be honest, 
I'm fine just being platonic friends. I mean, just the mere presence of a beautiful young girl full of burgeoning feminine energy, it's enough to make you feel happy and full of joy at the world. Yep, got a bit weird again. (laughs) Thursday, I taped another interview for the podcast with an attractive non-monogamous girl I'd met at the Infinite Love Poly Discussion Group stroke pool party that I went to a couple of months ago. And she'd listened to every episode of the podcast, which was quite refreshing, actually, as she knew everything about me, so I felt super relaxed and comfortable. She just has this great personality and rapport anyway, but it did help. And we taped it in a park, which was a first, and I think it might come out well. Then we went for a coffee to Priscilla's afterward. And i got to say, I think she's a gold mine and, and could be my muse or inspiration. I mean, she said if I found another girl, she'd be up for a threesome. High five! It's a nice. <laughs> and I got the sense that she'd be up for a twosome too. But, you know, she also said that after one or two times, she usually loses interest in a guy and wants to move on to someone else. So that could be a big risk given what a wonderfully positive influence she could be in my life beyond just hooking up. Anyway, I gave her a ride back to the car, hugged her goodbye. And then she very matter-of-factly said, so do you want a kiss? Sure. Why not? What a perfect way to ask. Just own it. And it was a really nice kiss. Sweet. The interview this week is with Juana, a girl I was introduced to because she'd had a non-monogamous marriage for a while and actually written a book on it. And she has a sort of personality that at first can be a little abrasive, but when I talked to her at depth and got beyond that, I really felt an affinity to her. She's certainly in the I like circle of my dating Venn diagram. So, not in the likes me circle, but i got to just accept that sometimes. Most of the time. Anyway, here she is, Juana. Well, I am here with Juana La Paz. I'm not very good at saying that because I don't have a very good Spanish or Portuguese accent. But Miss La Paz... Nice to see you. Nice to have you here. How are you this fine evening? I am great. <laughs> awesome. So you are of Colombian descent originally? Uh, no, I'm Peruvian. Peruvian. Actually. The only people I know from Peru is Paddington Bear. Did you ever read Paddington Bear as a kid? Nope. <laughs> You'll have to check that out. But anyway, so thanks for coming on. Um, it's interesting, actually. I was introduced to you because a mutual friend told me that you were interested in doing a podcast and they knew that I did a lot of podcasting. And so I sort of came over to give you some advice about podcasting and almost stumbled upon the fact that you had, at least in the past, very similar sort of worldviews to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, wow, this is great. This is the stuff that I really want to get on the podcast. So thank you for taking the time. I'd like to get the whole story out here because it's fascinating to me because you've really lived a lot of the life that arguably I want to live but never really have. And you had a lot of the same sort of worldviews of me and now arguably you've come back to a more of a traditional worldview now, right? I mean, if you had to talk briefly now about your worldview in terms of dating, how would you sum that up? Well, to begin with, I don't think my views about love and relationship have become traditional anymore. Even though I went through a path of believing that polyamory was a way of 
being that would be best for me and most suit me and now I'm not interested in in a polyamorous relationship at least right not right now like so many things have happened that I'm not interested in that world anymore but I see monogamy in a non-traditional way in the sense that we have this idea of how romantic relationships are supposed to be and I no longer see that the way that's been working serves anybody so it's, it's just been a transition from being monogamous to trying to be in an open relationship or polyamorous to just seeing that monogamy is a question about committing to something to the way you want to be you know and obviously there is society but being polyamorous is just very difficult and it's not necessarily a better way of being right. uh, it's just different you know it's got way 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 too many complications so it's just uh, I'm trying to create a different uh, shift in how I want to be in, uh, in relationships in general okay well we'll get into that because <laughs> it's obviously a complex thing and arguably not something you can sum up in a very short period mm-hmm. of time so start off, tell me a little bit about growing up and your childhood, because for me, a lot of the people that I've met who've lived untraditional lives have what I like to call a pivotal moment in their childhood, something that happened that made them look at the world in a different way. And what I've struggled with is I can't find that pivotal moment in my life because I had a very traditional middle-class upbringing mum and a dad then they fought from time to time but arguably they presented a very positive example of a monogamous marriage and I as I grew up and you know in my early 20s that was what I wanted I wanted to find one person and fall in love and get married and spend my life with them and have kids and so I don't know why I was able to sort of transition my worldviews and realize that Monogamy, at least for me, and arguably for a good portion of society, just isn't the most feasible working solution. And other people can never give up that notion. I've got friends that will will doggedly hold on to the idea that there's someone out there for them that is going to complete them. And when they find that person, everything will be perfect for the rest of their life. I mean, they accept that you have to work through it and sometimes blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, they're unwilling to change their viewpoint. So growing up, do you think there was anything in your childhood that made you able to look at the world in a different way? Because you had a Catholic upbringing, right? Yeah, very Catholic. Uh, no, when I was growing up, <laughs> I, it never occurred to me the possibility of being polyamorous. I thought that I wanted to meet somebody. And I, I mean, I was just like everybody else, pretty much. I would say 98% of the world that believes that they're going to find somebody and stay with that person and have kids and hopefully hmm. stay together forever and ever. My parents uh, were not a good example of a happy relationship for me. I never saw my parents happy with each other. In fact, they both looked miserable. Um, so surely that must have had an effect on you. Surely that must have made you look at relationships and marriage a little bit differently, no? Well, I mean, consciously, I knew I didn't want to have I, I didn't want to have a relationship like that. I mean, in fact, when they decided to separate when I was 13 years old, I mean, I was ecstatic. <laughs> I was so happy that they were finally not going to be around each other because I just could not stand seeing them together. Yeah. Like they... Uh, I don't know, my dad annoyed me, (laughs) like his presence really annoyed me just the way he was. And my mom, like she just never seemed happy. But, you know, I ended up wanting to be or have a polyamorous relationship after having been in a very committed monogamous relationship with somebody for 13 years, somebody that I married, a really amazing human being who became the father of my child. 
Right. Um, before that, though, before you got married, did you have monogamous relationships? Yes, or? always monogamous relationships. I mean, I never knew that uh, polyamory was even an option. I mean, I only con- started considering polyamory right. when after 13 years of being with this person, with this amazing human being, I realized that I was just bored to pieces. I did not want to have you know sex with him anymore and that's when I (laughs) I started thinking like oh my gosh I mean how can I not want to be with this amazing person with whom I have an amazing relationship that my parents never had and so I thought there had to be another way and the way for me that I found through books and research was polyamory right but do you think and hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn here but you know I was (laughs) lucky enough to be able to read the first chapter of your book your dad obviously wasn't the most faithful of husbands. Um, no. <laughs> and you were certainly aware of that. Yes. Do you think that had any bearing on how you viewed relationships? Do you think, and again, this is perhaps getting a little bit too psychological, mm-hmm. but someone could arguably say that if you are, as a child, presented with a very poor notion of monogamy and a committed relationship, that as an adult you're afraid of being in a committed monogamous relationship because it may never work out. No, not at all. I mean, I didn't know my dad um, had been unfaithful to my mom until I was uh, 15 and a half. I was the first person to realize that he was because um, yeah. I caught him uh, <laughs> cheating on my mom. And then what? I told my mom about this and then she's like, well, yeah, I'm not that surprised. This is not the first time, you know, you so never knew. So how did knew. that happen? How did you catch Cause, uh, he just, he moved to the States, uh, with me and I was in summer break and then I got to receive all the mail <laughs> back in the day where people used to send letters. Right. Um, and then I just started getting all these anonymous letters, all these anonymous letters from, uh, from this person in Colombia that was clearly not my mom. And then one day I was just like, what the heck is this? Like, why is he getting so much mail from this person? And I opened the letter and one of the letters and it was like this letter. Love, love declaration and talking about missing him and blah, 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 blah. anyway sure enough he was having an affair with right. um with a second cousin or something like that and um yeah it was really annoying but i was not traumatized by that like i no? never i never discarded the idea of having my own successful faithful relationship like i you know i had boyfriends uh, you know, I had my normal moments of jealousy, but I was never afraid of like, oh, I don't want to get into a relationship because yeah. my dad. No, never, ever occurred to me as a possibility right. for me. It was kind of like, well, that happened, you know. So you mm. could separate him from other guys. You couldn't say because my dad cheated, then other guys are going to cheat. No, huh? it never is. Hmm. never occurred to me. Well, never. And were you angry with him or not? With my dad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was more, I was disappointed. (laughs) Even though I didn't want my parents to be together, having been apart from both of them, I started fantasizing again about the idea of having a family unit and all of us being happy again. And they were talking also about going to um, relationship seminars or stuff like that, you know, to try to get back together. Hmm. Uh, But like, I guess that episode influenced me later on when I was thinking about having an open relationship with... Uh, now my ex-husband uh, with whom I wanted this polyamorous relationship because I was just thinking like I, I so want my daughter to have a a stable typical family unit in right. one home and this person that I was then married with it was such a great person it, it was completely unlike my dad who also was an alcoholic I never oh. thought my ex-husband would cheat on me I knew he was faithful and so it was more like I just 
felt very guilty, extremely guilty for not wanting to be with my ex-husband sexually anymore and wanting to be with other men. But again, right. that's how I discovered that, oh, wait, there's other ways. I can still be with my then-husband and my daughter in one house and then fulfill my desire to be with other men and, and to connect right. with other men because I was not feeling like I was connected with him anymore. Sure, sure. But so when, when you sort of went through that yourself, did it change how you looked at your dad? I felt compassionate, actually. Yeah. That's how I felt. I felt like, mm. when I caught my dad cheating, I was not angry at him ever. I was disappointed because my fantasy of having the family together was not going to come to fruition. And then I was angry at him because my dad just reacted really poorly to me finding the letters. Because when I found the letters, what I my plan was that I was going to destroy them all and like pretend that they never arrived. So my dad was going to forget about this woman, mm. I mean, it was very naive, stupid 15-year-old thinking like a plan, you know, it's like, Mwahaha. you know, <laughs> my, you know, he's going to forget about her because she's not writing to him anymore. But I forgot that there were also phones <laughs> and they communicated by phone. So right. anyway. Okay. Well, that's good because it's interesting how I talk to some people and they say, this happened in my childhood and therefore because of that, I'm fucked up and for the rest of my life now I can't trust men or I can't do this. And it's interesting why some people have experiences that could turn them in one direction and they just are able to somehow look at it objectively and go, okay, just because one person was like that doesn't mean that everybody else is like that. And you can extrapolate that throughout life, can't you, if you think about relationships and how, certainly from my standpoint, every long-term monogamous relationship that I've had ended poorly in the sense that either I got my heart broken but more likely they got their heart broken just because it didn't really work out and therefore because we'd gone all in and the only way if you go all into a monogamous relationship two things can happen you spend the rest of your life together and die or you have to split up and I know I meet people who say all the time, I'm still friends with all my exes and they've had deep, meaningful, committed relationships. But then when they go their separate ways, they can keep in each other's lives. But for me, that was never the case. So now it's kind of difficult for me to not look at a traditional monogamous relationship and go, if I get into this, these are the only two options. And if I love someone and care deeply about them, why do I want to those be the only two options because to be perfectly honest with you I don't have a strong desire to be with one person exclusively it's really not about me wanting to fuck lots of different people and as I was reading your book that was kind of interesting to me is that I was thinking when I tell people about my ideas about monogamy they all essentially say well of course you're a guy you want to fuck as many girls as you want what about your girl you know you don't want her to fuck anybody and the truth is it's not really about that at all because I don't even have that strong a libido to sleep with that many girls I just don't want to be in an unfeasible commitment that when it doesn't work out or if it doesn't work out will be the dissolution of our relationship completely to where they're not even going to be in my life anymore if I love someone, I care about them. I want them to be in my life for the rest of my life. And to me, I see being in a monogamous relationship as perhaps a way that's going to make that impossible. But the point of the matter is, having said all that, I should be able to say, well, they were different people. 
I could find somebody that could be in a monogamous relationship with me. And if it doesn't work out, we go our separate ways, but we're both mature enough and adult enough to still be friends, etc., etc. Because it happens. But then I go, well, maybe it's something about me. Maybe it's something about the relationships that I have that are so intense or whatever reason that when they do separate, the girl can't possibly have me in their life anymore. Right. And, and which could be fine as well. I mean, are you still in touch with your friends from your childhood or yeah. from when you were in high school? A lot of them. Well, a lot of them, not all of them. Right. Of you course, know, yeah. so it's okay. Like if you break up with somebody, you never see them again, whatever. That's how life is. Maybe they, you know. I suppose you're right. I mean, and, and the other thing with monogamous relationships is that I think one of the mistakes that people make, I've make it too. <laughs> I've made it, obviously, is that you think in terms of long term. Hmm. So if you were to just think about the person that you're with in the short term, like this is a short term thing that can end at any minute, then your appreciation for that person is deeper and then you, you have less stakes. And you, It's just like this whole idea of like thinking that something's going to last until death do us part. I mean, death can happen any second to anybody at any moment, right? right? But it's also you just put so much at stake thinking that it's going to be a long term thing and you're investing so much. I'm like... You know, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's, some, it's sort of like a recipe for disaster if you think that something's going to be long term. Like, you don't think about a job and you think this is going to be for the rest of my life. You right. don't buy a car thinking this is going to be for the rest of my life. No, you get bored with the car, you don't like the car, then move on. Whatever, you know, <laughs> it's you, okay. You, you, um, and maybe it's this is just, for me, that idea is like, agonizing to have to try and tell someone that you love deeply that you don't want to be with them anymore well if you love somebody so deeply you will not tell them that you don't want to be with any with that person anymore right <laughs> i mean so what if love well, ends why? it's no big deal i mean like and that's the thing that we have this idea that if we get married or if we have a boyfriend and that if it fails then you're just a failure and it's just the greatest disappointment in the world. Right. No, it isn't. So what? And yeah. my ex-husband is an extraordinary human being and it was very difficult not to be with him. But like going back to say my parents, one thing that led me to want to have or to look into polyamory as a possibility and just fulfill my own desires was because I did not want to be like my parents or like my mom specifically right. that oftentimes even to this day she says that I sacrificed so much for you and that's why I stayed with your dad I'm like mm. yeah but in the meantime you looked so miserable and it was not fun you were not a fun mom to be with yeah and that's and not healthy for you no I mean and so when I was like thinking about having an open relationship I was like I'm doing this because I want to be the best mom possible I want to be happy you know I need mm -hmm. to put on my oxygen mask first me might be happy first so that my daughter can be happy right. as well. I don't want to be unhappy in my marriage. I don't want to sacrifice my sure. own well-being because I have a daughter. Right. So when you were married and you, know, you started having doubts about the long-term feasibility of a sexual relationship with your husband for the rest of your life, was that the first time you ever felt that way or had you been in other monogamous relationships that you were like, yeah, this isn't working for me anymore? Um, yeah, when I was in those other monogamous relationships, I, <laughs> when it wasn't working anymore, we broke up. <laughs> right. You know, and it didn't, I, I mean, I, I met my, my ex-husband when I was 22 and I've had, had um, you know, a few boyfriends, 
here and there and I don't know I mean when they when it didn't work it didn't work and you just break up and, and it's no okay big deal that. yeah right. I know and I like when with some of those guys I'm friends with or you know are like well not friends but like I somewhat talked to yeah, one or amenable. two of them and yeah. some of others I never talked to them again right. and it's okay and so it doesn't bother you well to me a big issue that I have is this notion that people hate me and that this person <laughs> that I love thinks I'm a horrible human being because you broke up with because them I, well, because I broke up with them and, and they invested all of their, their time in this relationship and but it didn't work out. But that's their problem, honestly. That's their issue. Yeah. That's What if they hate you? I mean, if and maybe you're, they don't. I don't really talk to them. Exactly. Right. So why worry? I mean, I'm sure they're over it. With time, everybody gets over everybody, right. you know, and then you move on, you grow, and, it, and it's amazing that we live in these times, you know, when you can meet many different people. You're not stuck. Imagine if we're in the 1900s, you know, that yep. you had to be with somebody whoever, you know, they set you up with, right. whether you like it or not, and sure. you just had to be with them. And, like, the idea of being with somebody else was, like, unfathomable. Absolutely. You know, like, I can't help to think about Madame Bovary, that novel, that historical novel, you know, about mm -hmm. that. You know, when I was going through my conundrum of like the polyamorous thing should I do it I'm my ex-husband and I want to blah 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 I went through so much turmoil I felt such deep feelings of shame of guilt and fear but you know at least I wasn't ostracized from society or you know back in the day so yeah. these are great times to be alive <laughs> in yeah, terms it, of relationships uh, but certainly for women it's come a long way even in mm -hmm. the last 15 or 20 years yeah. for sure But I think it's interesting because as I was thinking then about how I sort of have this affliction for people thinking I'm a bad person, I know that it comes from my parents. I know it comes almost specifically from my dad who would always go out of his way to be nice and kind to people and it would I could to tell it would hurt him deep inside if someone thought he was a bad person. And that came from my grandmother who brought him up to be a good guy and to help people out. And arguably, maybe the example that you had from, from your dad, who, by the sounds of it, was more able to say, this is what I need in life to be happy. I understand that some people may get a little upset by it, but I have to be happy, and that's the most important thing. Maybe that was the influence that made you more able to sort of make those sort of decisions, and, and why I seem to have such a hang-up with it, do you think? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yeah i am a little too introspective and i think too I mean, much I, about things i no, don't live but enough. we all do we all yeah. think too yeah some, some people don't i don't well obviously some people don't but a lot of the majority i would say the majority of people we're very much in our heads yeah you know and much. we think a lot about you know our actions sometimes we think about the consequences of our actions yeah i mean i wanted to be in a polyamorous relationship because i was honestly feeling like i was trapped in a relationship And I could not see myself being in that situation anymore, like feeling yeah. trapped. And the guilt part also came from the fact that my ex-husband is such a great human being that at the time I kind of wished that he would right. beat me up and he would have been an asshole to like justify my not yeah. wanting to be with him. So like your own idea of like, oh, uh, I mean, if I break somebody's heart, I'm just a bad person. No, you're not breaking somebody's heart. Like that person, that's her own responsibility for feeling heartbroken. As long as you're honest. Well, here's a question though. You talk about being honest. Mm -hmm. After all these years, if I look internally and I go, do you see yourself being happy being with somebody for the rest of your life and nobody else? The answer to that question is no, as I know it now. Can I say without a doubt that I won't meet somebody that will make me change the way I feel? No. 
I can't say that. But I can say as I sit here now and I think internally about who I am intrinsically as a human being, I can't see it happening. Now, if I know that and that's who I truly believe I am and I get into a monogamous relationship knowing that, am I not being deceitful? Am I not being dishonest to any girl that I go and get into a monogamous relationship with? Uh, if you met me, like if, if... And you told me how you felt and about... And I felt, yeah. And I said, okay, let's do this, try this monogamous thing. But just so you know, I've never really bought it before and I don't see it working. Then, um, I don't know. I, if I really liked you and was into you, I would try to prove you wrong. <laughs> right? That would be like, you know, let's just, let's play the game. You know, let's see how far we can take this again. Because you will be entering the relationship with fear. That's mm. a fear-based talk. Like, I want you, I like you, but, you know, I'm afraid, you know, I don't want to commit completely because maybe sooner or later, I, uh, you know, I may not want to have sex with you anymore. After a while, nobody wants to have sex with the same person again. Then why you get know? into a monogamous relationship? Why not? How many times have you met somebody and you told that and maybe they like say like, eh, forget it. I don't want to be with you because everybody's afraid of being cheated on. Like that's the worst thing I can do, you can do to somebody, right? right? Well, see, I'm not, the difference is though, I'm not saying I have to sleep with more than one person at the same time. I'm saying that to make a commitment that you won't sleep with anybody else to me just seems disingenuous. Yeah, and you don't have to make that commitment to that person. I mean, you don't have to commit to somebody. Just commit to your own ideas and see, and just let things roll because you may change your mind. Yeah. Like, <laughs> finding somebody that you connect with, where your interests are aligned, where your ideas and philosophies and ethics about life align, is so rare. I mean, that's why marriages are so celebrated, you know, because it's a very rare occasion for two people to say like, wow, I want you and I like you so much that I want to share an apartment with or a house or whatever and bills and life and and the good and the bad and like that you look at me when I look like crap or when I'm sick I mean it's amazing it's really commendable and it's totally worth celebrating hugely do you really think it's rare well of course it's rare I mean marriages don't happen every single day all the time they happen <laughs> they happen they, well i don't know that many friends you know like i mean in the past um quite frankly in the past two years i haven't been to any weddings right a no, wedding at two all. years but in your life in my life do you know many people who haven't been married yeah really i know people that are struggling to meet somebody you know for, the for first years time. not for the first time exactly. but that, but it, that it, but it's been a while since they met somebody right i mean it's not easy to meet somebody that you're totally crazy compatible with you know in the past year and a half ish that i've been single i haven't met that one person that i'm like right, oh my in your god life, you've met in my life sure. i met a few people yeah my ex-husband right. couple, so if this is something sure. that everybody has done once or twice in their life if not more so i, I can't think you can say it's rare I think it's no. rare that it works out. Well, sure. So, yeah, well, so I was going to, in, in addition to that, it's rare and it's completely commendable to make a relationship last hmm. for a long time. Absolutely. And, that's, and it's a question of growth, you know. Like, I mean, when I was with my ex-husband, you know, there was a lot of things that I, <laughs> I made a lot of, uh, 
a lot of mistakes, you know, based on fears and insecurities and, and being complacent about my life. Mm. But I mean, I totally would love to meet somebody and be in a relationship where I go through the motions of growing with that one person. See, one of the things that happened with my ex-husband is that I just felt like I, I, I stopped growing. Right. You know, I felt stagnant. And not only that, I felt like, you know, we've been together for 13 years and I've changed a lot. I mean, I met him when I was 22, when I was 33, I was, you know, my ideas, my thoughts were just like, you know, they, they were different. And I just did not feel like we were a match anymore. Right, for sure. Let me ask you this. Do you think that perhaps some people are just designed to be good in monogamous relationships and other people aren't? And it's not about needing to have sex with more than one person perhaps it's just having a personality that is amenable to compromise you mentioned living with someone you mentioned having kids all these things require compromise and perhaps there are some people that just don't compromise well and that's not to say that it's a good thing or a bad thing I mean it's a bad thing if you want to get married and spend your life together but if someone just says you know this is the sort of person I am and I don't like compromising then Perhaps it's okay that they're not in a long-term monogamous relationship. I remember reading, when I got divorced, I was on a plane and I was reading one of those magazines. And there was a woman on it, it was a businesswoman. She was in her 60s and her friends were constantly saying, you know, oh, why haven't you found somebody and why haven't you got to settle down? Otherwise, you're going to be lonely. And she's nearly in her 60s at this point anyway. And she said she was perfectly happy. Like she had like a couple of lovers and they'd come over whenever, you know, they were free and she'd think nothing of it. She had a wonderful life. She didn't care to have children. And I just thought, wow, that was remarkably refreshing to hear that, certainly from a woman as well. And I just thought, well, maybe that's that's a workable scenario, but I just, I don't seem to be doing very well at it, you know? I mean, but the compromise or the commitment happens when you're happy with somebody or with a situation. <laughs> Everybody that wants to have a sustainable lifestyle in society has to commit in order to thrive. Like you commit to a job, you commit to a lease, you commit to... For a short term, yes. For a sh But even with people, you can also commit for the short term. See, that's the fallacy of marriage being forever and ever, right? Mm. And even entering a marriage thinking that it has to be forever and ever. No, if it doesn't work out, see, like say with a job, you commit, you sign a contract, right? Like yeah. you sign a marriage contract, you know, you think you're going to work or be married to that person forever. Things change. And if they change and you're not happy, then you can get out of the contract. Thank goodness there's divorce. Thank goodness there's contracts that you can just break. You know, if it doesn't work for one of the two parties, then you have to break it. I'm talking about my own experience of, you know, thinking about the stigma that we still have on divorce. You know, that is like the worst thing. And it is horrible. It doesn't right. feel good. But it's because we have this taboo yes. around that. And especially if there's kids involved. And religion. Right? Yeah. Because uh, if there are no kids involved, honestly... It's like breaking up with a boyfriend, you know. To you, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, a little amount. Obviously, marriage is deeper because you had the party and you, you know, or, or you did something in front of people and a judge and, you know. It's like, not even and, that. It's for, I mean, the whole point of marriage yeah, is that you want to do it for the rest of your life. Yes, so when again, it but ends, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to expect <laughs> anything to last for the rest of your I life. Then, but if that's the case, why get married? For logistical reasons, for instance, like taxes, <laughs> you know, for, um, yeah, for, uh, for, uh, you know, that, that uh. person becomes your family. It becomes a deeper bond. It's beautiful. I would love to marry again. Why not? 
It's great. And if and if it doesn't work out, doesn't work out. I, guess, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, you're just like you cannot like enter a relationship or do anything based on like the possibility of it not working, you know, or based on fear. You just enter with love and you you do as much as you can to make the relationship work. Nobody's perfect. No relationship is perfect. But again, the fact that you can find somebody that is in love with you or appreciates you as much as you are appreciated by them uh, or as much as you appreciate them, rather, it's amazing. It's something to be cherished. You're preaching to the choir, no doubt about it. But I'm just saying, if you're in that situation, why get married? Why make a contract? I mean, the whole point of marriage is to say, we want to do this for the rest of our life. Then why are you signing contracts to work? Because they're short terms. But they could be long terms. No, you wouldn't. You'd never sign any other contract for okay. work or when anything you, else for the rest of your life. When you buy a house, uh-huh. right? Yeah. You you think it's gonna, you know, that's gonna be your house forever. And what I'm trying to say is, you, we have to stop thinking that marriages need to last forever. Okay, they last until the, they last until they last. They last until they're not fun anymore. They last until you're like going through every single possibility, like a house. Like you buy a house, but then the house, I don't know, the neighbors suck, or there's leaks, or blah blah blah, or do do do, or because you want to move to a different city, do you have to stay in the house forever? No, you sell the house. Mwah, mwah, mwah. But the same with a marriage. Like it doesn't work out. It's not fun anymore. Why do you have to stay in it? You're right. You know, I agree a hundred percent. My so point is, don't get married in the first place. But I'm, as I'm saying, there's pluses to being married. So all right, so you're saying there's there's and seriously right. there's logistical taxes. pluses. Okay, taxes, wills, uh, insurance, uh, visitations in hospitals, sure. etc. Bottom line is, if that's the case and that's how you feel, then when you get married to someone, they have to feel the same way. And you have to be able to tell them, this is how I feel. I want to get married to you until, or if this doesn't work out, then I want to get divorced. And that's okay. But everybody goes into marriages nowadays knowing that divorce is you a possibility. So? Well, I mean, the statistics are like half of the marriages don't work Six out. out of 10, and yeah. so, yeah, I'm sure everybody goes into marriage hoping for the best, right? But you also need to, you know, get in knowing that being pessimistic about the possibility that may, it may not work out. And quite honestly, if you go into a marriage thinking that it's not going to work, that there is a possibility that it's not going to work out, yeah. you know, that divorce is a possibility, people will be less complacent about the person that they're with. They will water the relationship a little bit more. You know, they, they will appreciate the person much yeah. more. I mean, that's why I say, like, I think we should get into relationships thinking that they're short term. I you agree. Know? That's the thing with like marriages or relationships that you start taking them for granted, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Every year, I think you should reevaluate where you are. And I don't think that's even marriage, any kind of relationship. Anything, anything. Yeah. You're leaving quarters, your friends, yep. even anything. Like, if, And if it's not working out, it's not working out. But nothing lasts forever. Everything changes. That's just, that's just a truism about life. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Once you meet somebody, just going it with full open arms, like love fully and a hundred percent fearless and unstoppable. You know, being slightly pessimistic about the relationship so that you can have an amazing relationship. You think that changes as you grow older? I have this viewpoint, and maybe this is bigoted because of my worldview, but for me. I always think it's easier to fall in love when you're young. Maybe because when you're young, everybody's better looking. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
and and it's it's all fresh and it's new and the older you get just don't seem to meet as many people that make you feel that same way I mean obviously your husband made you feel that way Mm -hmm. and then there was somebody after your husband Mm -hmm. before him was there anybody that that you went yeah Mm -hmm. so you wouldn't say that as you grew older it was more difficult for you to find people that made you feel that way that gave you the butterflies no, and I love to feel butterflies again. But you still I hope do. I, I mean, not, not as of late, but right. I mean, like the last person that I was with, yeah, I mean, I was yeah. like so in love with him. Right. Crazy in love with him. I and I, and I, I mean, maybe you just have not found somebody that's making you feel that way, but I would love to be in love with somebody forever. I, will, I love the feeling of being in love. It's great. You know, when, when you're in love, everything is brighter and more beautiful and, and just like the, the desire to be alive. It's oxytocin. Yes, it's great. Right. Uh, lo- love is a drug. <laughs> yes, love is a drug and I want it. Right. And there's nothing <laughs> I need wrong my with fix. that. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-drugs at all, you know. Anything <laughs> that makes the world a better place and makes human beings nicer, kinder. Yeah, you, I mean, if you haven't it. fallen in love lately, it's because you just haven't fallen in love. You haven't crossed paths with somebody that's made you feel that way. But it doesn't matter. I don't think it's because you're older. Or maybe you just have to inject yourself with uh, some wonderment. You know, trying to see things. No, no, well, not that. <laughs> no, just like just trying to um, try to see the the good in people. I mean, I I'm do. sure you do. You know, but again, falling in love with somebody is like I said before is so rare to fall in love with somebody. And not only that, that that person also falls in love with you. Like, right. What? Yeah. This you is know? the issue for that's, sure. That's uh, that's why people love romantic movies because it's such a rarity. And even life, like having children is like the miracle of life because the miracle of two people like merging together uh-huh. and deciding that they want to you know, show their most vulnerable selves by taking off their clothes and exchanging fluids. I mean, my goodness, that's, right. <laughs> you know. Let me ask you this. It's a side point to your main story. You, you have a kid and it was, your child was conceived in love and in a wonderful marriage at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's necessary to have a healthy child? Because my viewpoint is that, and again, you could say this is out of fear, that I want to find somebody who is beautiful and interesting and funny and stable and balanced and have a child with them in a platonic relationship. Because I fear that the dissolution of a sexual relationship will wreak havoc on a parenting partnership. Now, you've been very lucky in the sense that when your sexual relationship with your husband sort of faded out, with some ebbs and flows, you managed to co-parent very well now. So I'm asking you, do you think you need that romantic basis to be good parents or not? No, you just need good parents. I, I don't know who it is. I think it may have been Margaret Chow, or I don't know her name. That the most important thing is to make sure that you meet an excellent ex-husband or ex-boyfriend. Right. You know, because you, you could make love to the love of your life, have a baby, and then you break up over whatever, and then they turn crazy, evil, right. and irresponsible parents. Yeah. Right. So what I'm so, saying is, do you need that falling in love? No. You don't. No, I think you just get I, to I, the end. You have to make sure that whoever you have a child with is stable, right? That and even economically stable, yeah. You know, and that has values that agree with you, right. and that lives Good. and plans on staying living in the same city, yeah. So I don't know. There's countless of couples. I assume that have 
children and then they decide not to be together anymore right but just you fine. see the argument is they've all had that beginning they've all shared that intimacy of saying yeah, i've had this inside there and therefore we're closer even though it hasn't worked out in the long run we had that intimacy and if you don't have that intimacy perhaps you won't be good parents. I don't believe it at all. No, I don't think so. Because I'm very affectionate and I don't think kids know whether your mum and dad are sleeping together or not, nor do they need to. They just need to know they respect each other, they love each other, they hug, you know, peck on the cheek or whatever else. I mean, my daughter hasn't seen my ex-husband and I hugging nothing romantic whatsoever, nothing warm, and she's perfectly fine. But it's because him and I, as parents, we give her tons of love and... You yeah. know, she's perfectly fine. She feels safe and yeah, secure. Yeah, she and feels, I mean, so, it's, I mean, we don't talk badly about each other. Right. We, we demand that she respects one another. Even though my parents lived together until I was 13, I can't remember ever seeing them hugging, holding right. hands, kissing. Yeah. You know, looking like they were a happy couple. Like, they were not an example of yeah. the, the kind of relationship that I wanted to have at right. all. It's like just quite hot. the opposite. Sure. It's and just... it's very rare, I think. I for I mean, I rarely ever see like couples in the street being all happy and cheerful and with the kids and like, I don't know, like in the movies. Yeah. You know, you, when do you ever see that? Like you I go guess. to the park and it's just the mom and the kid or the dad and the kid, not like both parents, unless they're just starting their relationship or right. something or is the boyfriend. Yeah. Well, <laughs> arguably that's the world that we live in today where, you know, it used to be in the 50s and 60s that dad went off to work and mom stayed at home and raised the kids and then you had your family time at the weekend or in the evenings and now both parents have to work right it's very difficult to raise kids with one income so both parents have to work and we have this notion that you have to have all these other interests in your life otherwise your life's not fulfilled so arguably it's sort of difficult to have that idyllic family life right and i don't think people had idyllic lives in the 50s or 60s yeah, either right. they were just kind of like this is how it is perhaps thinking otherwise is, was not a possibility yeah. I think the, the thing now is that with the internet and TV and all that now we have so many more choices and options that those new choices and options don't necessarily make life better you know when you have too many options <laughs> then you get a little crazy about like oh my god what am I gonna do yeah you know yeah. what should I choose if I choose this this might be the wrong choice mm-hmm. you know expectation yeah that's the issue isn't it with life expectation and perception What's that, that line from Cheryl Crow? It's not about getting what you want, it's about wanting what you get, right? Sure. Yeah, for sure. So, that was part one. Really get into some good stuff and in the next one. You're not going to want to miss it. His reaction the night I, I confessed was to... Uh, was to fuck me. <laughs> I'll see you next week. Well, that is it. One week closer to Six Feet Under. Thanks for listening and being part of the journey. Drop me a line if you think you or someone you know would be a good match for me as a parenting partner here in Los Angeles. Before you go, though, you know the deal. Please rate, write a review and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Show some love. I'll be back next week, but if you want more before, then you can read my weekly blog at nigelressing.com forward slash blog, where you can also buy merchandise, book me, or just send me a nice message. Until then, wherever you are, whoever you're with, 
Hope you find kindness and love. Be happy. Hello.